Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 10. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. We've now headed into the final furlong of Season 10. Episode 6 is already upon us, which means we only have four episodes left after this one. But dark work never stops, so we're already collating experiences for Season 11. And we've already received some fantastic submissions. So, as ever, if you believe you have a true paranormal experience which would suit the format of The Dark Paranormal, email us at thedarkparanormal.com. Or you can head over to our website, thedarkparanormal.com, and click the contact link. On the topic of the website, a big thank you to everyone who's went over and purchased a t-shirt or a mug or any of the merch we have available on that website. I'm not normally one to do merch, but you guys demanded it, and so we set it up. And it's very strange and still a bit surreal to see photographs of you wearing t-shirts with the show logo on. I don't think I'll ever get used to that. And also a quick shout out to everyone who reached out following last week's episode, The Revenant Tenant. It certainly seemed to stir up a few of your own stories. Sadly, not long enough for this show, but they will make the Dark Bites episodes over on Patreon. Today's true paranormal experience that we will cover is one of the most harrowing stories I think we've ever received on the show, and I truly mean it when I say that. I'll aim to give a more succinct brief before we go into the episode, but believe me, this one will stay with you long after you've heard it. And although the title of the episode may fool you into thinking we're going to be talking about some guy with knives for fingers, let me just say sometimes reality is much more terrifying than anything you'll see on the silver screen. But before we reach today's terrifying true paranormal experience, we need of course to say a huge thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you join us over at Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, but you can also receive exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a show which is released each and every week, even on the downtime between seasons. And there are currently over 50 hours worth of Dark Bites episodes for you to go and binge on. So joining Patreon means not only do you never miss that weekly paranormal fix, it also means you get the season premieres and the season finales before everyone else. 
We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon. And we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Kimberly Stubblefield, Monique Smith, Leslie Swain, Rhea Corbett, Daniel Smith, Cindy Luhu, Andrew Atwell, Joanne Vine, M. Clements, Erica Kunz, Shara Bui, Vicky Strange, Jag Jill, Taylor, Tyler Freeman, Natalie Barber, Margaret Frayne, Liam Reynolds, Desiree Carpenter, Anthony Costa, Layla Chibe, Amanda Keeley, Eli Alvarado, Darla Barbara, Sean Estes, MZ, Rosie, Jen McCauley, Brooke Ramsey, Jim Yar, Hanny Lauren, Craig P. Storm Mitchell, William Smith, Julie Saunders, Michael Trevino and Tristan Anderson. A true and heartfelt welcome to the team, guys. I hope you enjoy all the early released content and, of course, all of the Dark Bites back catalogue for you to binge on. If you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. But right now, there's something I'd like to say. A precursor to today's episode. You see, the reason you're hearing my voice right now, the reason this very podcast exists, is because of one person. My mother. Now, she sadly died when I was 16, but it was her and her belief and wonder about all things paranormal and supernatural, that gave me the same deep-founded interest in the topic. She was open-minded to anything paranormal, but not so open-minded to be gullible. She questioned, she probed, even with encounters she experienced herself. My two siblings took to football, or soccer, if you will, But the paranormal was mine and my mother's. She would sit me down and talk me through some of the most amazing paranormal encounters that she'd both had personally and had heard through friends and family. And at the end of one of our many ghost sessions, I would always ask, aren't you scared by the thought of all this? And she would reply with the same line each and every time. It's the living you should be afraid of, and they are everywhere. Today's true paranormal experience touches on topics of physical and sexual attack, and caution is advised for the listener. And so, with that said, it's time. Lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and most importantly, Leave your disbelief at the door, as we hear all about a real nightmare on Elm Street. I was only four years old when we moved to the house on Elm Street. Perhaps that's the solitary reason why only a handful of my closest friends and relatives have even heard this story, and why I am only just now... 30 years later, willing to tell it publicly. I had a very active imagination as a child, and being an only child, coupled with having been severely traumatised at a young age, I knew the odds of anyone believing me in the years following would be slim to none. I'm 34 years old now, 
And whether anyone believes me or not, my story needs to be told. Not necessarily for others, but definitely for myself. The house and the events that transpired there were cataclysmic influences on the remainder of my life. From then until now. It doesn't seem to really help to just mentally tell yourself that you've gotten past something or that you're okay now with things like this. The only way to really accept it and move forward is to give it a name, so to speak. My name is Ashley. I'm not going to bother to change the names of the people involved in this story because every other person who was involved is now long dead. As I previously mentioned, we moved into the house on Elm Street when I was around four. By we, I speak of my mother, Jeannie, and my stepfather at the time, Ray. A little backstory so you're not completely in the dark, my stepfather and mother had been together roughly a year, but up until this point, they'd lived separately. Mum and I still living at home with my grandparents. We lived in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton is a medium-sized industrial city, famous for manufacturing, and was also a second home to many of the gangsters of Chicago during the 20s, so it's got a pretty rich history. My mother was only around 21 or 22, this was the early 90s, and Ray was some 20-odd years senior. He was also, like my mother, a partier, and often drank and used drugs to excess. I suppose, at his age, you could rightly say he was an alcoholic, and his violent behaviour whilst drunk readily proved that many times over. You see... Ray beat my mother. He beat me. He was emotionally and mentally abusive, even on a good day. And on a bad day, we knew we'd better stay out of his sight. For the sake of a comprehensive idea of it all, I will divulge that he enjoyed causing others pain, others that were weaker than he was. Whether that was women or children or smaller men, it made no difference, both violently and sexually. I witnessed him force himself on my mother several times during the stay in that house. And just for the sake of satisfying curiosity, even at that young age, I knew the difference between consent and someone being physically attacked and hurt. Anyways, this was just a bad man, an evil man, who had my mother under his thumb. And during this time, finding help for escaping abusive relationships was no easier than it is today. Thus, we were trapped in this two-storey narrow house with this man each day for roughly six months. His behaviour, albeit violent and hateful, was predictable, and my mum and I adapted as best we could. 
Oddly enough, although my memory of the events in this place are somewhat spotty, I can remember the house perfectly. Elm Street is a narrow side street off Route 4. It's nearly no more than an alleyway. Directly in front of the house, on the other side of the street, there is a fire station. And there were houses to each side and houses behind it. The homes on this side of town were very crowded together. Nobody had much of a yard, front, back or side. The house itself was a dingy yellow colour, like it hadn't been painted in ages. Needless to say, I now have a distinct hatred for anything yellow. The house was two storeys, perhaps three, but I can't recall a basement. Anyway, the front door led into the kitchen, which was just large enough to fit a small table and a hutch into comfortably. There was white tile flooring. Turning right was the first living room, which was fascinating to me because it housed a bar. The wall behind the bar was all mirrors. Straight ahead from that room was the laundry room and the bathroom, and the second doorway led to the den. The den was my favourite place to be. I spent a lot of days there with my mum in that den, watching Saturday morning cartoons, reruns of Ren and Stimpy or Rugrats, two of my favourite shows as a child. The den was our real living room. Our TV and couch and loveseat and coffee table were all in there. The first doorway was the entrance to the stairs, 13 steep steps leading to two bedrooms on the second floor, and that was all there was. The stairs were scary to walk up and down, day or night. You would enter the stairwell, go up two steps to a small platform, turn left and finish the remaining 11 steps. The stairway could not fit more than one person walking them at a time, if they were climbing side by side. At the top of the stairs there was a small hallway landing, perhaps four feet long. To the left, my room, and straight ahead, my mum and his room. Moving into the house is a blur. I can't recall moving in, nor setting up my room, unpacking or settling in. I do remember we weren't there long before I started having trouble sleeping. I would have these awful dreams of a group of rather large, for lack of a better word, men in white-looking suits chasing me through the house. And when they would catch up to me, they would pin me down on my bed and claw at me. There were always at least four or five of them, and it was always the same occurrence. They'd find me someplace in the house, and I would run like hell back to my room and try to hide. But they'd always catch me. Sometimes they would hold me up to the wall by my arms, each pinning one of my limbs to the wall, other times onto my bed. These white figures, they weren't totally opaque. They looked like mist, about 50% transparent. 
This happened almost every single night, and I would always wake to my mum shaking me back to consciousness, asking me why I was screaming. At first, we assumed it was just normal nightmares, you know, due to the move and the sudden change of environment. It really wasn't until years later that I realised that, rather by accident, I had been astrally projecting, and that those men, those things, they were clawing at me because they wanted my body for themselves. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank accounts. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong-arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sometime during our brief stay in the house, I had acquired an imaginary friend. He never told me his name that I can recall, but I remember my mother asking me what his name was, and I just said, Jay. I think she likely rationalised it to my young, traumatised brain, attempting to cope with seeing my mummy get hurt. That's what I'd have done. I don't recall much about Jay or his features, but I do know that he only came to play with me at night after everyone else would go to bed. When those things weren't chasing me around, Jay and I would be strolling through the house talking and playing with my toys. As this would all take place during the middle of the night, neither my mummy nor Ray ever seen my friend before, and my mum started to panic when she realised I wasn't just talking about Jay during the daytime and imagining him up to be a playmate. 
but that I'd been sleepwalking through the house nearly every night, having full-blown conversations with a man that wasn't there. My bedroom was also at the top of that steep stairwell, and Mum was mortified when she found me standing at the top of it, talking one night, still asleep, mumbling, swaying back and forth, nearly ready to fall. After that, she put an alarm and a lock on my door, so if I got up during the night and was sleepwalking again, the alarm would wake me, and the lock would keep me from falling and breaking my neck on the stairs. Horrible things began happening in the house. The activity escalated into unmanageability before we even knew what hit us. Things would move by themselves. Bangs and knocks on the wall. Things would be lost. And Ray would nearly beat us both to death, assuming it was us who would move the items. Hell, half the time it would be things I would have never known existed, let alone touched or found, hid or played with, etc. Eventually, Ray's moods worsened, and the abuse worsened. His entire demeanour completely changed. He was becoming someone else. Ray was already an awful man. But this... Well... My mum told me years later that he even began drinking a totally different brand of beer. He would always sit at the bar to drink, or at the very least the kitchen table. Yet suddenly one day he began sitting in a corner of the kitchen floor, drinking a different kind of beer from his usual 20-some-odd-year usual, muttering things to my mum about taking his children from him. Now, my mum knew that Ray had been previously married and divorced, and that his ex-wife had their two children, But that was long before he ever met my mother, and she'd never even met his kids. But we put it down to Ray being Ray. Little did we know. One evening, rather late actually, my mum had gotten out of bed to go to the bathroom. She walked down the steps, through the living room, into the bathroom did her business and began to walk back to bed. She got to the platform still half asleep when she realised the hair on the back of her neck was standing straight out. Her arms had goosebumps all over them. She felt a chill out of literal thin air, like a gust of arctic wind, and turned around slowly to see a giant black mass floating in front of her. It didn't move, and it wasn't really any sort of shape, just a huge black opaque mass. She struggled to regain her senses, turned around slowly, and then ran as fast as her legs would allow back to the bedroom where Ray, surprisingly, was awake. 
and smiling at her. Smiling at her with a grin that wasn't his own. I saw and experienced awful things in that house, but my poor mother really took the brunt of the pain. I was too young to fully comprehend what exactly was taking place. What I did know was that there were evil things in that house, and I would tell her about my nighttime excursions, hoping for some comfort, but remember her just sobbing onto my shoulders, holding me, crying her eyes out. She was clearly defeated, at a loss. So she turned to the only direction she knew to turn, the church. We were not, and are not still, a religious type of family. None of us, save my uncle who married into a Catholic family, were churchgoers. And my mum had never even mentioned church until this point. She found a local minister who, after hearing her blatant and exhaustive plea for help, was willing to come over to bless the house. The minister, or pastor, I really couldn't say, came to the house on a weekday, during a time that Ray was at work. He prayed over my mum as she gave a more detailed account of our experiences up to that point. He then went from room to room, praying and blessing each room, sprinkling holy water on every wall, window, floor, ceiling, even giving the sinks and the bathtubs a thorough soaking. The blessing was seemingly going well and was a success, until he had to go upstairs. Now, from here, I'm not sure what happened. I only know that my mother said he was apparently walking up the stairs, going through the motions, doing the blessings and abruptly stopped what he was doing. He froze on the spot, gave an audible gulp, and ran down the steps. He pushed a small vial of holy water into my mother's hands and hauled his ass out of our home. I wasn't present for this, and my mum said from what she could recall, he just kind of bolted out of there with no explanation. Confused and not knowing what to do, she sprinkled the remaining holy water in the upstairs bedrooms and left it at that, praying it would at the very least do some amount of good. When Ray came home that night, he was no different. He opened his beer and sat down on the kitchen floor for hours, drinking one after the other, a blank expression on his face. He eventually rose from his spot and went into the bathroom to take a hot bath. This was his usual routine and neither of us paid him any mind. Mum put me in bed upstairs for the night and as she was turning to leave, we heard the most god-awful shriek coming from the downstairs bathroom. 
My mum instructed me not to move from my bed as she ran down the steps to see what the trouble was. Ray came out of the bathroom, stark naked, covered from the neck down in severe burns. Mum went to check the temperature of the water, sure that he'd forgotten to turn on the cold water or something in his intoxicated state. But no, the water in the bathtub was lukewarm. What the hell, she thought. This is impossible. Then it hit her. The holy water. But she had no time to react any further. Ray had grabbed a robe and subsequently came up behind her in the bathroom. He snatched her by her hair, yanking her backwards. Ray had become someone else whilst we lived in that house. But as I said before, he was already abusive and cruel, so whatever influence he'd been under there only intensified that behaviour. That night is pretty much a blur, but I can tell you that they went at it for hours. He chased her around downstairs, throwing things, accusing her of doing all sorts of things she hadn't done, accusing her of turning the hot water heater up on purpose, accusing her of stealing his cocaine, accusing her of cheating on him, accusing her of taking his children away from him. The house was ransacked, and he finally cornered her at the bottom of the steps, placing his hands around her throat, almost killing her before she kneed him in the crotch and ran up the stairs towards my room. He'd caught her halfway up and smacked her head against the wall right outside my door, knocking picture frames down, her head gushing blood from one side. She made it to my doorway, and he caught her again, slamming her up against the wall. She took a couple of pictures off the wall in self-defence, trying to break them over his head, glass shattering everywhere, including onto my bed, where I still sat frozen, not knowing what the hell to do. He eventually subdued her by her neck again, and she couldn't move a muscle without his grip tightening. And then he said, Come here, Ashley. My mum went to speak, and he gripped her even harder, turning her lips blue. I immediately obeyed, even though her eyes told me, No, no, please don't. But he was hurting my mum. I had to do something. Did you do this? Did you play with something you weren't supposed to? He snarled, pointing at his burnt arms and legs. I shook my head, no, not daring to speak. He then stood up and pulled me up by my hair, which was rather long back then, lifting me about two feet off the ground. As he did this, he simultaneously let go of my mother's neck to pull something out of his robe. Her eyes widened and she gasped for air at what she saw. I couldn't see anything. If I'm being honest, I really don't even remember the pain of being pulled up by my hair. Perhaps it was the adrenaline, I don't know. But I could see nothing but her, and my sliding closet doors behind her, and the tattered war-torn looking room that used to be my bedroom. Her eyes were so huge, and she looked so terrified. You see, he'd pulled a gun out of his robe, 
and was holding it to the back of my head. She didn't blink. She ran down the steps and we chased after her, me still in his arms, carrying me like a baby, the gun in the hand beneath my body, as we watched her run barefoot across the street to the firehouse. Ray then did the strangest thing. He stopped. He carried me back up the stairs without speaking a word. He laid me back in bed, still filled with tiny shards of broken glass, and he told me to go back to sleep. He slowly walked out of the room, closing the door behind him, expressionless. Moments later, the phone rang, and he let it ring. The answering machine picked up, and it was my mum, begging him not to hurt me, and saying that the cops were on their way, and to just let me go. She called three times before Hamilton PD and several sheriff's cars pulled up in the front surrounding the house. The police and my mum came up the stairs and got me out of bed and carried me out of the house. That was my last night in the Elm Street house. Years later, I finally mustered up the courage to sit my mum down and ask her about the house and her experiences there. I could not let it go no matter how hard I tried. I had to know if what I had experienced was in fact real. Shortly after the incident, I was shipped off to my grandmother's to live and she subsequently raised me from then on. I spent years in therapy. I had nightmares my entire childhood and adolescent life. I couldn't ever make peace with it. My mum told me that a couple of years after we left that night, she was drinking with a friend someplace and had told them some of what had happened at the house. I will never forget her face as she told me what this friend responded with. She went on to tell my mum that she couldn't believe her story and that it was the most terrifying thing she'd ever heard. Evidently, this woman knew a couple who were previous owners or tenants in the house. It was a married couple who had two children. The husband was an alcoholic and abusive, and eventually things got bad enough that the wife took the kids and left, and subsequently divorced him and took full custody of the children. What she told me next still makes me shudder. The man then, in his grief went into the kids' room, my room, and shot himself in the head with a shotgun. The man's name was Jason. J. So that's the end of my paranormal story. Interestingly enough, because of the experience and several experiences thereafter throughout my life, I've come to find myself with a gift which I once thought was a curse. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a medium or anything, but what I will say is I can communicate with the dead from time to time, and I am a practising witch as well. I incorporate death into nearly every part of my practice, and instead of it frightening me, it gives me now comfort, peace, and perspective that I likely wouldn't have had otherwise. 
This one experience was just one in hundreds over a lifetime. And although it was one of the most horrific things to ever happen to me and my poor mother, I would not have the clarity I have today without it. Thank you for taking the time to read my personal horror story. I adore your show and can't wait to hear the remainder of Season 10. Ashley Thank you, Ashley, so much for such an honest and downright terrifying submission. I do believe personally that evil begets evil, and I find it unsurprising that an evil person such as Ray has managed to absorb the energy of somebody else's spirit who was also of a similar mindset. Although large parts of the case have now been debunked, the amitable story does feature George Lutz going through a similar transformation as Ray in this story. His wife Kathy alleged that he started to exhibit behaviours more in line with the previous tenant and murderer, Ronald DeFeo. So, who knows? Perhaps in the grand scheme of things, it's much easier for an evil spirit to inhabit an evil person. The one thing I will say, Ashley, is I'm glad to read you got the help you needed and your life is now moving on. However, never one to miss a trick, I do note you state you've had hundreds of experiences. So, if you ever get the inclination, please send them on in. And that brings us to the end of Episode 6 of Season 10. Once more, thank you for choosing to spend your time with me on your show, The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I will speak to you again on Sunday for yet another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll speak to you next Friday for Episode 7. Until then, remember, when you're talking about the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, here on The Dark Paranormal. Thank you.